The Your Mark on the World show is made possible by support from our sponsors, including media consultant Mike Schwager. Welcome to Your Mark on the World, bringing you another changemaker with champion of social good, Devin D. Thorpe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Your Mark on the World show. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe. I'm a Forbes contributor covering social entrepreneurship and impact investing. And today we have as our guest, Bobby Turner, who's the CEO and founder of Turner Impact Capital, one of the largest impact capital funds in the world. And Bobby, we're so thrilled to have you on the show today. Devin, good morning. It's great to be here with you. Thanks for having me. The privilege is all ours. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Bobby, you... What is interesting to me is how quickly you have been able to scale uh, the work that you're doing uh, under Turner Impact Capital. You've got uh, over a billion dollars in assets. Give us a little bit of a a report. Give us some context, especially including scale, because the scale of what you're doing is really impressive. So the context is, is Rome was not built in one day. Uh, what you see with Turner Impact is, is basically uh, the results of 20 years of banging my head against the wall. Uh, as I like to tell people, for the vast majority of my career, I was both a capitalist, a very successful one, as well as a philanthropist as well. And truly, I struggled at both. As you wrote so nicely, you know, I struggled as a capitalist uh, making meaning of my change. I did get wealthy uh, being in the investment management business, but I came to realize at some point that the only thing that wealth was guaranteeing me was a more comfortable form of misery, that there wasn't really a correlation between wealth and happiness. Um, so I was struggling again, making meaning of my change. On the other hand, as a, as a philanthropist, I had given millions of dollars away, hundreds of hours of my time, and I struggled at making meaningful change. Uh, in other words, what I was finding is that my money was going to treat problems, not cure them, that most of my philanthropy was creating a legacy of dependency and not sustainability. So it was really over nearly 20 years ago when I first teamed up with Urban Magic Johnson to form our first uh, urban funds is when I truly realized that, you know, making money and making societal change needn't be mutually exclusive. As a society, we have daunting challenges that we face, be it healthcare, be it education, be it housing. But the reality is, is with daunting challenges come generational investment opportunities. Uh, the quagmire or, or the, the dilemma is, is most people believe that there's almost a tension between making money and making change. Uh, if you talk to a capitalist, they'll tell you anytime that you superimpose a societal uh, metric on a financial return, you will sacrifice yield. If you talk to someone on the mission-driven side, uh, and anytime you tell them that they need to be sustainable, they'll always assume that it will come at a sacrifice in mission. I refute both. It's just not the case. In fact, there's an interdependency between the two. There's a symbiotic relationship. And in fact, it's the interdependency between profits and purpose that enable a capitalist to generate better risk-adjusted returns with lower correlation to the broader market indices. Because listen, I've always said there's four ways to create wealth. You can inherit it, which I failed at miserably. You can marry it, a strike two for me. Uh, My partner on the school fund, Andre Agassi, actually did marry quite well uh, to Steffi Graf. Number three, you can speculate. Most investors are speculators. They hope to buy low, sell high. They speculate on cap rates. They speculate on interest rates. Uh, And in my 30 years in the business world, I get to find anyone who can consistently speculate well. The fourth way, which is significantly less glamorous, is what we call value investing. It's scouring the marketplace for opportunities that are overlooked, misperceived, difficult to underwrite, and require unique skills to capture the opportunity. And what we do is we roll up our sleeves to identify, quantify, and mitigate risk. 
Social impact is value investing. Reality is, is we focus on, you know, our opportunities and markets where there's a huge existing mismatch in supply and demand. We're not speculating on demand, but rather we're addressing existing demand. Things like, you know, again, housing, affordable workforce housing, great public school seats or preventative care. And where the traditional investor in the space has been the government and or philanthropy. And we have 50 years of evidence that neither the government nor philanthropy are particularly good at curing and creating sustainable solutions. So the genesis for me was uh, a number of years ago, my daughter said to me, uh, she said, Dad, what do you want your epitaph to read? And quite candidly, I looked at my daughter, who was about 15 at the time, and I said, sweetheart, Daddy went to the Wharton School. I have no idea what the word epitaph means. (laughs) What do you want your tombstone to read? And it was interesting for me because when I graduated Wharton 30 years ago, it was quite simple. I wanted my tombstone to read that Daddy had the most change in his pocket. I wanted to be wealthy. But as one gets older, as one matures, as one becomes wiser, we realize what our priorities are in life and how to define successes. And success to me wasn't monodimensional in a single measurement of financial success, but rather I decided that I wanted my legacy and my epitaph three, that he made the most change in the world. But recognizing making the most change in the world requires one to harness market forces to scale in innovative business models to create sustainable and scalable solutions to daunting challenges in society. And that was really the impetus uh, why we created Turner Impact Capital. So give me an example, if you would, of, uh, say, your favorite project so far. And let's just drill down on that as an example. Oh, Davin, that's like picking your favorite child. Um, There's not a single project that I don't love and adore because, number one, is we have incredible discipline with regards to the projects that we choose. um, And and we have incredible passion uh, with with regards to our mission. I will tell you that, you know, when we think about public education, my mother uh, was a public school teacher uh, the the vast majority of her life. Um, So what I think I'm most proud of is is tackling issues that are near and dear to me that resonate with me on a personal level. Uh, We have a a, a daunting challenge. You know, public education is the last great monopoly in society. And there's been actually no reason without competition for public schools to improve the product. Uh, When we have, you know, graduation rates that are uh, abysmal, when we have students, you know, only when only one third of students in many urban communities uh, graduate proficient in math and science, when we drop 1.4 million kids out of high school every year, when by way of example, if you're growing up in East Baltimore, the probability of you A, graduating high school is less than 50%, and B, graduating college is less than 2%, you create real problems in society. You know, I was at a dinner party many months ago in Las Vegas at, uh, at the Skybridge Alternative Conference, and the conversation quickly went to what are the greatest challenge? What is the greatest challenge we face in society? And quickly, everyone concluded at the dinner table that the biggest challenge we face is the disparity in wealth in America. When 1% controls 99% of the capital, that's when you undermine the fabric of society. And that's when you create, that's what leads to violence. I absolutely disagree with that. The history of America has always had disparity in wealth. Now, we may have a more extreme disparity in wealth today, but that's not the problem. The problem is that we have a disparity in hope because the 99% has always been willing to play nicely and fairly in the sandbox if they believe in the feasibility of the American dream. If they believe that with hard work, that with a great education, you had an equal chance to actually achieve and become the 1%, then people played nicely. But if you live in East Baltimore or in Cleveland and Ferguson or many of our major metropolitan markets and you work two jobs a day and you come home and you find out that you live in a, a very moderate, medium, almost, uh, you know, almost, uh, I don't know, a ridiculous home environment, 
um, and you realize that you're spending upwards of 50% of your hard-on income on rent. I mean, the reality is, is 25% of all renters in America spend over 50% of their income on rent. That comes to the expense of healthcare security, food security, education, and just security security. So if you're working two, sometimes three jobs a day, you're spending 50% of your income on, on rent, and your kids are relegated to a public school system where the likelihood of them graduating is below 50%, the likelihood of them going to college is below 2%, where is their hope? And when you lack hope, you become despair. Despair is the root word of, uh, of desperation, and desperate people do desperate things. And therefore, intensive desperation leads to intensive violence, and those are the problems that we're seeing. So our mission is to try to tackle and address some of these daunting challenges in a holistic approach, because you can't solve the problems in these communities by just addressing education on its own, because Andre and I can do some amazing things for the lives of these children between eight and five. But if they go home to an unsafe, unnurturing home environment, then everything we've accomplished during the day goes out the window. So what we like to say about affordable workforce housing is not only is it where jobs sleep at night, it's where children sleep at night. So you can't tackle one without the other. So our business model here at Turner Impact is to take a holistic approach by raising a series of funds focused on education, housing, and healthcare that take a holistic approach to addressing and tackling these issues uh, together and collectively, recognizing the interdependency between the three, but also recognizing that if we want to scale and really scale, recognizing interdependency between profits and purpose. If we want to attract capital into the space, we have to drive fair market rate returns. And the reality is, is we've got a 20 year track record proving that we can drive great risk adjusted returns without sacrificing yield, but also with little to no correlation to the broader market indices. So what I like to say is that social impact is the new alpha. It's a great diversification in a portfolio. It's not an asset class. It's a risk filter, it's an understanding that social responsible practices and ethics, that doing good and doing well can, again, generate great diversification for your portfolio. And people always ask me, well, why is it less, less correlated to the broader market indices? And I'll always tell you, because the demand is so huge. Today, there's 1.2 million children on a wait list for a great charter school seat. I promise you that regardless of where the Dow Jones Industrial Average goes, regardless of where cap rates go, regardless of where inflation is, or even unemployment, that that list is not going to change. The demand is fundamental, it's growing, it's unmet, and on its own, 1.2 million uh, school seats at about $20,000 a cost is an existing immediate $22 billion infrastructure opportunity. But I do tell people that investors beware, because two words will clearly define the social impact opportunity, arrogance and distrust. Arrogance from capital providers, because we're very smart, we have capital, the golden rule, he who has the gold rules. But the reality is, is that arrogance is misplaced because the distrust comes from the other side, where we think and we assume we know what a community wants. The community itself believes we're there just to make money. And unless you can bridge that gap between arrogance and distrust, you're going to have and expose yourself to certain risks that aren't mitigatable. So by partnering with someone like Andre Agassi, who truly is an evolved human being, who, by the way, was a philanthropist for many years. I met Andre because we shared the same passion and frustration for education. As a philanthropist, I actually built 38 schools in Los Angeles, 15,000 school seats over six years. I was incredibly distraught to learn that after every school year, there were still 40,000 kids on the wait list for our school seats. So I was three times the failure that I was success. Andre, built his own K-12 public charter school in the worst neighborhood of Las Vegas. 
By the time I had met Andre, he had had two graduating classes. A hundred percent of those kids had gone on to college, but yet he was struggling with the fact that while he was treating the issue for 650 kids, there were over 3,000 kids on the wait list. So Andre and I got together and immediately Andre was intrigued by the business model, but was also scared because he had spent 15 years of his life as a philanthropist and he did not want to be a hypocrite. He did not want to make money off of what was so near and dear to him. But over a three month period of time, I was able to educate Andre of the consequences of him not evolving from philanthropist to social impact investor. And it was very simple. Andre had raised $150 million of philanthropy over the prior 15 years to build a great state-of-the-art environmentally and learning charter school for 650 kids. He had taken that money, his investors or his philanthropists and benefactors were never going to see that back. He had spent it. So we were creating almost a legacy of dependency that he needed every year to go out and raise capital to fund the deficit. What I convinced Andre was, is had we taken that $150 million of philanthropy and we had used the Turner Agassi business model, we could have taken that 150 and we could have built $500 million worth of schools. Over 50 schools or over 25,000 school seats. So when presented with the option, Andre, you can continue to be a philanthropist and you can change the trajectory of 650 kids' lives, or you can become an evolved capitalist and you can work with me to raise the same pool of capital, but now we can change the trajectory of over 25,000 children's lives. Andre very quickly concluded the consequences of him not evolving were unconscionable and untenable. And that's when we got together and formed the Turner Agassi Charter School Funds. And by the way, today, we're ecstatic to tell you that four years into our relationship, we have either opened or committed to open 64 schools across the country in some of the most challenged school districts, in some of the most underperforming communities, over 35,000 school seats. And by the way, at the same time, we're generating just shy of 11% returns, net of fees to our investors, and 1.5 equity multiples. We're doing good by society. We're doing great by investors. And the interdependency between the two is what social impact is all about. Yeah, it's it, it really is an important lesson. Well, uh, which in which community are you uh, most well-developed? Are you most mature in creating housing and, and uh, schools uh, in the same community? So we do. We Again, we believe that there's a symbiotic approach that we can't address uh, education without housing and we can't address housing without education. Uh, from a, a societal and an impact metric, it's obvious to all of us. Uh, great schools are essential for great housing. Great housing is essential for great schools in a live, work, play environment. But as a capitalist, think about the competitive informational advantage that we have vis-a-vis any other investor in the housing market. We all know that great schools drive property value. We also know that Andre and I are in the position to build 100 schools over the next five years. That's information that nobody else has. So the way we're able to drive capital values, returns for investors, is that knowledge that we can buy properties in advance of where we're going to build schools. And that's a, that's a wonderful advantage that we have that, again, is not, it's not uh, abandoning the mission. Uh, it's, it's augmenting and complementing the mission. Uh, we focus on marketplaces across the country that are defined by what I call the four Ds of social impact investing. We're going to focus on marketplaces where there is a huge uh, density of population. Okay, so we're going to focus on marketplaces and invest in housing and invest in schools. But within a five-mile radius, there's at least a quarter of a million residents. We're going to focus on marketplaces that have a diversity of population. 
marketplaces where there's at least 50 or 60 percent diversity because that's where consumers have demand for product uh, amenities and services that are going unmet or where the traditional provider of those services are the government and philanthropy. Number three, there's got to be demand. We're not interested in, in creating or speculating on demand. We're not interested in building schools where the public school systems are achieving. We're focused on marketplaces with an existing demand, a huge wait list uh, for school seats and or affordable workforce housing. I mean, in workforce housing, uh, number one is there's a huge existing demand. It's growing. And the reality is, is the existing stock of workforce housing is disappearing. Because every time subsidized or compliance-driven housing comes off its compliance period, the logical buyer is a more opportunistic investor who buys a property with the idea of regentrifying, not revitalizing, but they'll improve the property. They'll put in new bathrooms, new uh, uh, Caesar stone, cabinet tops, new kitchens. And to get a return on their capital, what they do is they actually increase rents from the very consumer in society who can ill afford. There's been no wage inflation, so you displace the very backbone. Our motto is a little different. As a shareholder, I have a responsibility to my investors. But that in that investment is depending upon the stakeholders. And the stakeholders are those that live and breathe these issues every day. And that by partnering, creating innovative business models in partnership with the stakeholders, you can dramatically reduce the risk. So that goes to the, the fourth. So we've got, again, uh, density, diversity, demand, and also disruptive. We want to be disruptive, meaning that we want to place investment in marketplaces where we can scale. We're not interested in doing one school in a community. We're interested in doing 10 schools. We're not interested in buying 100 units of workforce housing and enriching them. We're interested in buying tens of thousands of units across the country over the next five years. So again, that's our mission. That's our marketplace. And that's how we can drive superior risk-adjusted returns, non-correlated to the broader market indices, uh, with lower downside. Again, what I like to tell people is in a bull market, we will typically underperform because leverage is, is a competency in a bull market and bull markets are very forgiving of un, 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 you know, of poor underwriting. But in a bear market, which is what people should be underwriting too, uh, we will always outperform because again, we're not speculating on demand. We're not correlated. So while we'll underperform in a bull market, we will always in social impact outperform in a bear market. So again, great diversification across anybody's portfolio. Now, Bobby, you've become a real role model to many people. Who do you look up to as a role model? Um, I would say two people for, for their courage and their vision. Number one is my partner uh, and dear friend, Andre Agassi. Uh, remember, Andre is an eighth grade dropout, and for him having the courage to take on education and tackle it without the education uh, shows shows great uh, great courage. Additionally, he had great courage in, in in recognizing that he had to evolve from a philanthropist to a social impact investor. I tell the story all the time. Many years ago, um, Andre called me on a, on a Sunday morning and said, "Bobby, I need help with math." And I said, "This is fabulous. I need help with my forehand. There's definitely something to be done here on a barter." I said, what's the problem? He says, my son, uh, who was 10 at the time, has a, a test, a math test on money on multiplication. And I said, this is easy. I'm a, I'm a Wharton graduate. Uh, I'll help you out here. He goes, help me understand or explain to my son how in any universe, minus three times minus three can be a positive nine. You have three bad things compounded by three more bad things. How's that a good thing? And I thought to myself for the moment, and I came back and I said, Andre, think about it this way. If you do a bad thing to a bad person, that's a good thing, right? <laughs> I understand that's a good thing, but that hasn't explained to me why minus three times minus three is a positive nine. So I said to him, truth be told, I don't know. 
It's one of those tenants you just memorize in life and just take this information and go forward. He goes, maybe you can choose to live your life that way, but I can't. So that gives you insight as to the, the unwavering, the un unsatiable thirst for knowledge that Andre Agassi has. So he is truly one of my heroes. The other one would be Michael Feinberg, who you may or may not be aware of. Michael was a graduate of the University of Pennsylvania back in the early 90s. And rather than following the vast majority of his peers to create wealth um, by going to work on Wall Street, he chose to choose a career in education. He went to work for Teach for America, and he chose that his definition of success would not be how much money he had, um, but rather how much impact he could have on other people's lives. And today, you know, 20 years later, Michael stands as one of the co-founders of the KIPP School Foundation. They've built 183 schools across the country, serving over 70,000 kids, and he has made meaning, sustainable, scalable, and lasting change for tens of thousands of kids. Uh, he is also one of my heroes. And by the way, they're both follically impaired by me, so we're all twin brothers or triplets from different mothers. <laughs> That's great. Now, Bobby, you could be doing anything. As you said, you had a, a long career in finance before you became an impact investor. Why have you, why do you care enough about the world to shift gears and focus on impact instead of just simply on becoming wealthier? Um, you know, it's, to me, it's about legacy. It's about my children. It's about the world that my children are going to inherit. I grew up in, again, a family uh, where my mother was, a, was an English professor. Uh, my father actually was in the footwear business and uh, had, the, had the wisdom uh, to send me a number of summers down to work in shoe factories on an assembly line in Puerto Rico. And the first year I came back, he goes, what'd you learn? And I said, I learned what you told me to learn, which is I learned how to make shoes. He goes, you failed. Go back. The next summer I went back and I worked in a shoe factory in Aguadilla, Puerto Rico, along the side of some great people who I got to know and truly respect. And after the end of the summer, I came back home. He goes, what'd you learn? I said, I learned how lucky I am. I learned how lucky that I got to come home at the end of the summer and I have options and choices. And the people that I was sitting next to working on the assembly line didn't have those choices. And from those days, from looking at my mother and my father, truly built into my DNA is I believe that I do have a responsibility. I'm incredibly lucky. Yes, I may be smart, but it takes more than just smart to be successful in life. It takes an understanding and contextualization of those around you in society and that I feel privileged and I feel almost obligated to give back. Um, we, my wife and I do a tremendous amount of work at the University of Pennsylvania at the Wharton School, where we want to empower tomorrow's leaders with the tools to be successful, recognizing that the definition of success is not defined solely by how much money you have, but it needs to be combined with how much change you've made in the world. So through our speaker series, through our uh, Turner Social Impact Society, through our curriculum development, we feel that it's, it's, it's our legacy uh, if we can pay our good fortune forward. Now, Bobby, one last question. Uh, what's something that you do every day that we could emulate so that we can increase our impact on the world? Every day I get and I hear the word no. So the greatest impactful investor will be one who doesn't hear the word no. Because again, there's lots of people, candidly, who don't believe that social impact is a viable alternative investment strategy. Uh, I have pulled a hair off the top of my head for every no I've gotten. Andre as well, Michael Feinberg as well. And I think that's what, what has made us successful um, as impactful investors is the drive to overcome adversity. 
you know, the old expression is why does the old man stop banging his, or why does the old man bang his head against the wall? Because it feels so good when he stops. Uh, well, we can't stop yet because I, I think that in the space and in the, in the universe of social impact, you've got a lot of people talking about it. You've got a lot of people interested in it, but not a lot of people are really doing it on scale. If we fail, I believe that we will set back the social impact initiative and movement by a decade because, again, we are battle-tested investment managers who are coming from the capitalist side. We're not not-for-profits trying to be creative and sustainable. We are truly capitalists who believe that we can make better risk-adjusted returns by exercising the rights to take advantage of the purpose. Um, and again, so I, I look out to everyone in the space, a lot of people chattering about it. Uh, the bottleneck is and will continue to be for many years uh, the lack of qualified and more importantly, authentic and truly uh, driven uh, investment advisors who understand the issues. When you look at my firm, I built a firm now of just about 25 people. We are the most diverse 25 people you will ever meet. We are recovering professionals from every vocation, from law enforcement, from education, from housing, uh, from community development, from politics, so that when we sit around a table, we can identify, quantify, and mitigate the risks. And that's the only way to truly be successful in the social impact space is be of the community, from the community, with great respect for the community. Oh, that's great. Well, listen, uh, Bobby, how can people learn more about what you're doing and connect with you? Come visit our website, uh, www.turnerimpact.com, or, or come see us on Twitter at, at Turner Impact. I think it's just at Turner Impact. I'm a bit of a Luddite. I'm a little new, my daughter tells me, but at Turner Impact. Great. Uh, Bobby, thank you so much for being with us today. We wish you every success in the great work you're doing. Devin, thanks for spreading the word, and thanks for having me on this morning. All righty, let's do some good. Mike Schwager promotes authors, nonprofits, and humanitarian organizations. He also writes speeches that inspire, and he helps prepare leaders for appearances on major national TV talk shows. Learn more at MediaMavens.com or TVTraining.tv. Call him at 954-423-4414. Thank you for listening. This podcast was recorded via Google Hangouts on Air and is available at youtube.com forward slash Devonthorpe. Subscribe to this podcast on Stitcher or iTunes by searching for Your Mark on the World. Every weekday, Devon hosts a CEO, celebrity, entrepreneur or other changemaker here on the Your Mark on the World show to inspire and prepare you to make your mark. Devin is a champion of social good, writing about, advocating for, and advising people who are doing good. He is a Forbes contributor who is a recognized thought leader in social entrepreneurship, impact investing, and crowdfunding. To book Devin as a speaker, visit devinthorpe.com. Learn more about Devin's work at yourmarkontheworld.com.